Mobile workforces, cloud applications, and digitalization are changing every aspect of the modern enterprise. And with radical transformation come new business risks. Welcome to Hybrid Identity Protection, the premier podcast for cybersecurity pros charged with defending hybrid identity environments. Presented by Semperis, the pioneers of identity-driven cyber resilience for the hybrid enterprise. And now, here's your host, 15-time Microsoft MVP and Active Directory security expert, Sean Duby. Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to the HIP podcast. We've just wrapped up our inaugural HIP Europe conference, and it's been great to witness the global growth of this community. If you haven't already, you still have a chance to watch other sessions, such as uh, John Craddock talking about the future of identity, distributed identifiers, and verifiable credentials, or someone like Ben Cowell, who's security delivery manager at Accenture, talking about the first steps you should take when you're brought in and when your company is under attack. So everything from uh, identity futures down to very practical boots on the ground, uh, steps to be taking in case of a security incident. All of this is available uh, for free on demand at hipconf.com. That's C-O-N-F, as in conference, dot com. For the next few episodes of uh, the podcast, we will share the audio of our panel discussions from the event. This week's episode will focus on answering the question, is cloud security an oxymoron? I will be joined by my friend and colleague, Guido Grillenmeyer. Enjoy. Really, where do we stand with cloud security today? Is it everything it's put up to be and how does it compare to what we have done in the past and how does it stand up to the the issues that we're seeing today. Uh, Joining me today are Jan de Klerk, George Almeida de Pinto, our good friend of many years, our MC for the conference, Guido Grillenmeyer. Let me sort of warm things up or set the stage for talking about the state of cloud security today. You know, As we've watched the cloud evolve from these one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter environments, it started out with complete distrust. You know, who on earth would do this? Uh, What kind of security is it, the nascent security that they had compared to on-premises security? But as cloud services providers such as Microsoft, AWS, and Google have evolved, and at the same time, because so many on-premises enterprises have been successfully attacked, we are seeing the hesitation around cloud security lessening. My personal experience has been, you know, in my time as a technology journalist covering identity as a service, IDAS. When that first came out, I, my thinking was, who on earth would trust their identity to an external provider? And for years now, it has been just an accepted part of the landscape. But at the same time, all of this has been getting better we're seeing that threat actors have been able to break into cloud services with varying degrees of success. So a question for everyone is, how do you think the events of the last year have impacted cloud services and the resulting security? The example that I think of is Zoom. When Zoom first appeared and everybody started using it and security issues, how does that, what's that reflected on in the market as a whole? I think for people that were not aware of uh, some of the issues that can arise in the cloud environment, it was a wake-up call, I guess, right? Um, so I think uh, some people, they are 
even more focusing on uh, on security uh, for their their cloud apps uh, and their cloud services. Um, yeah, and I, th I think yeah, one of the uh, the big problems with uh, with cloud security still today is the fact that uh, some people they don't understand the uh, yeah the shared responsibility model uh, very well yet, or they they don't know the details. Uh, and when you when you have that, uh, you yeah you create a possibility for gaps, of course, security gaps, uh, and yeah, that way disasters may happen, right? Yeah, I think the key word is shared responsibility, because on prem you are responsible for everything. That, that happens or doesn't happen. And with the cloud, you, it is a shared responsibility. And many people may think, well, it's not my responsibility anymore. But that's not true. You have a lot of things for which, in this case, the cloud provider is responsible, but you still have your own responsibility in making sure that your data and identities are secure. The whole core infra is already secured by the vendor, but not uh, the identities. Well, yes, the identities, but in a certain way, you still need to do your own work. So Jan talked about the shared responsibility model, and you expanded on that a little bit. In your, in your talk, you focused on account hygiene. So could you expand a little bit more on, in, in this hybrid world, how does an organization's on-premises security hygiene affect their cloud security hygiene? Well, if you look at security, the whole security thing depends on the weakest link. Uh, the weakest link is where uh, attackers in the end will get in. And uh, your cloud can be as secure as you want. Uh, but if you, for example, you're using uh, federation um, and you have bad security around AD and also in this case ADFS, and that gets compromised, your cloud will get compromised, no matter how secure that is, because one regulates the authentication for the other. And it, um, I'm giving federation as an example, but even with which um, uh, if you're using PHS or a pass-through authentication, it doesn't really matter. If your accounts, passwords, whatever get compromised and you are in a hybrid world, your cloud will follow. If you are 100% cloud, uh, cloud focused, then it's a little bit different. People may expect uh, that they are not responsible anymore or they are not aware or don't realize it, but that's not fully the case and you're still responsible, especially in a hybrid world, that you're fully responsible for everything you do on-prem or don't do on-prem. Mm. Yeah. Another thing maybe I, I want to bring up is that uh, I think uh, a lot of people, they are still uh, over-focusing and over-emphasizing uh, technical security controls, right? And I think if you want to uh, completely lock down a, a cloud environment, you, you need to look at the whole picture, right? For example, um, uh, think about phishing attacks, right? Um, if, if an admin is, is phished and you know, gives his cloud credentials to a, a malicious person, you have a big problem as well. So it's, it's, it also comes down to, to things like uh, security training, uh, awareness of your admins, of the dangers. Um, so it, it, I think you need to look at the whole picture. And I think a lot of people, they still neglect this, uh, yeah, this non-technical side of, of security also in, in, in the cloud space. And I think you bring a good point there, uh, Jan, because technology only goes so far, but still, wasn't it in, in a talk uh, by Alex Weiner on the use, let's say the range of use of MFA in the Microsoft cloud, it was something like uh, much lower than I would have expected, 18% or so, yeah? 18%. It's really low. Yeah, uh, comparatively low to, I mean, I, I would expect that every company by now, even individual users, I've done it for my home accounts as well, have enabled uh, multi-factor authentication to at least secure 
um, or at least make it harder for a phished password to get that far. Yeah. So I'm I'm authenticating even to my uh, private mailbox, also hosted uh, on Microsoft, but but Google offers the same. Uh, everybody offers it to to not just trust the passwords. I mean, we all know passwords are the problem. Yeah. It's a multi-faceted game, but MFA should be a given. Yeah. And uh, having involved, having been involved as a consultant and having to deploy MFA, you know, one of the biggest challenges around deploying MFA is there is a base assumption for modern MFA that everybody's got a smartphone or that yep. everybody, everybody. And I think this is all very true in Europe and other parts of the country than in the United States where I'm based is the use of a personal cell phone for work, even as an authenticator app. Um, so I remember working with a company and they had they had a large contingent staff. I believe it was in Africa and they all had, you know, people had feature phones. So you you couldn't then you start getting involved in uh, hardware manufacturing and buying oath tokens. And so personally, I'm, I'm thinking maybe I should look into investing in some kind of company that makes hardware tokens, mm -hmm. oath tokens, because as everyone's pushing to MFA, these are the edge cases that, that slow it down. That said, I completely agree with you. I'm never going to disagree with Alex Weiner because he'll beat me up. So typically a human being that can use multi-factor, right? But there are so many applications that are also authenticating machines that are authenticating within a particular service. I just cropped up my ears in Jan's talk on how processes authenticate uh, more or less, you know, have claims against each other to understand the trust chains between processes. Mm -hmm. Uh, independent of your authentication of the user using that process, that that be the next step. Yeah, that sounds very promising. Sort of like verifiable credentials for machines. Is that right, Jan? Yeah, and for uh, service IDs, right, application IDs. So I think that's a yeah, that's a vast space that uh, that will need to be better secured as well. Yeah. You know, George brought up. Um, he referred to in passing obliquely. He mentioned uh, ADFS compromise which takes us around to talking about the SolarWinds espionage attack, which really, you know, it's been called by so many names. I think it's sort of being called Nobelium um, or in SolarWinds and Microsoft calls it SolaraGate and all that. But essentially what I, you know, so I, and I, Guido, I know you saw it as well. Alex Weinert gave a presentation at Identiverse where he dove into great detail about this solar winds attack and that has absolutely affected the public perception of cloud security but the solar winds attack one of the things that alex said was that in every case so first off that the solar winds supply chain vulnerability was only used in i think less than 15% of the uh, the intrusions and that most of it was done via password spray against an on-premises active directory attack. Yeah. And he said that in every case where the exchange had been penetrated, exchange online had been penetrated, the attackers had complete control of the on-premises environment. What's your thoughts on that? You've summarized it quite well. If your on-prem is not secure, uh, that is the path uh, towards your cloud resources, yeah? Of course, there was a focus on the Solaragate attack around the first at least documented golden 
SAML attack, yeah, with uh, basically the cloud trusting your federation service and that certificate and the key being uh, stolen and then being used to generate, let's say, trusted certificates of your own to then uh, authenticate a cloud the, against the cloud resource that thinks that SAML token is coming from uh, that uh, federated identity. And it didn't. It came from the uh, intruders, yeah? So um, that is the risk that, that, that is technically real if you don't uh, protect your on-prem environment sufficiently well. And, um, but we shouldn't hammer that too hard because, of course, it's a far way to get to those keys. Yeah? So, so you really do have to be fully compromised and not do anything about it before then attackers can then uh, continue uh, down that road against the cloud. But it has been proven to be possible. I think that's the scary part. I wonder uh, how much that's going to hasten the demise or the end of lifing of ADFS servers in the enterprise uh, as a result of that, because essentially your your fancy cloud service is taking the word of your on-premises service. So if your on-premises service is compromised. Well, I don't think it's just related to, to ADFS. It's, it's basically any federation system, if you use federation of course. As, a, uh, as an authentication means. If you are in a hybrid scenario uh, and you're not using federation, you are using password hash sync. If your accounts, you're not, so you're, there's nothing to compromise regarding federation services, but if your credentials are on-prem and compromised, you're in the same boat. It's still compromised. I want to ask a question to Tony because Tony has been, of course, talking about very impressive numbers uh, this morning in the keynote on the growth of, of Microsoft services, Teams, of course, but Office 365 in general has some level of security. It, it doesn't seem to keep companies from joining the services, the fear of federation being broken or breached or whatnot. Did, did you see anything that where companies become hesitant to, to join the cloud resources for security reasons? Or or you think everybody believes it's secure enough, It'll, it's more secure than what I can do myself? I think a few years ago, people would have been reticent to joining the cloud. But now, after 10 years, you got to say, as I said today, the, you know, the cloud is proven. The weaknesses are well known, and they've been identified by other speakers up to now. It's great to have 80% of uh, accounts using MFA. It was only 3% three, three years ago. So I guess we should all applaud ourselves for a whole 15% increase over three years. It's, it's got to do a lot better. So, I mean, this is basic fundamental uh, block and tackle stuff that organizations should be doing. It's also, it, I did a test a couple of years ago with uh, Troy Hunt's uh, I, You've Been Pawned uh, service. Very simple test. It just said, okay, let's uh, read down the list of primary SMTP addresses of users. And they could be on-prem users or they could be cloud users, whatever. It doesn't matter. They're just SMTP accounts. And just uh, run them against uh, the I, You've Been Pawned database to see how many hits were there. And it was staggering. I did it in a number of different tenants. And boy, uh, you still got passwords being reused. You've got stupid passwords being reused. You've got pets passwords being reused. It's, you know, and, and the thing is, is that people are just not doing the fundamental things. So we can all have these grand discussions about 
uh, golden samples and stuff like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to cover the fundamentals. And that means getting MFA in, stop people using stupid passwords, and getting rid of basic authentication. And, and once you do that in a cloud service, there, there are no problems. Really, there are no basic problems. Basic authentication, you mean like the legacy protocols uh, that are known to Make be unsafe? Yeah. Try to get rid of them, yeah. Yeah, I mean, why, do, why are people still using IMAP4 and POP3? I'm sorry for email. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, come on. I mean, but does anybody, you know, there are, there are, there's a large proportion of the world's population that was not born when POP3 was, was written. <laughs> I think the challenge is that companies will evaluate security, uh, security differently. If you're, if you're a small company that, uh, that can completely migrate all of their resources to the cloud, you don't have a hybrid challenge anyways, yeah? I've had the chance to talk to quite a few customers, of course, with regards to Active Directory security and their legacy applications. And for some of them, of course, cloud also means to move the domain controllers, the on-prem domain controllers into the cloud, and then continue to also use legacy applications that are not cloud native, yeah, yes. .NET apps and whatnot, continue to use them because let's face it, uh, uh, cloud migration is an application modernization topic. For mail, that is done through yeah. Office 365, but yeah, for yeah, yeah. applications, it's of course much more involved. And so yeah. my my feeling is that um, we're still going to have to deal with the those legacy topics, Active Directory on-prem as such, we all know. Microsoft, of course, is investing all of their capabilities and you know features and new stuff, and rightly so, into the cloud. But we still need the on-prem environments for many, many years to come because of the yeah. applications that depend on it. And indeed, in terms of, you know, I had, a, I had to go there, pop an IMAP. But there's a lot of uh, devices out there in use in corporations that use these protocols mm -hmm. to connect multi-factor, multi-function devices, you know, like printers and scanners and stuff like that. And they're pretty vulnerable as well. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it just takes time. And I mean, in fact, the, the exchange guys have been on this uh, crusade to get rid of basic authentication. And, and they've done things like they've, they've even upgraded POP and IMAP to use modern authentication. But their biggest problem is tracking down all the, the device manufacturers of, of things like a photocopier to say to them, hey, you know, you've got an inbuilt email connection here using SMTP and pop, you know, uh, which is, uh, and the passwords aren't terribly secure. What are you gonna do about that? Yeah, you know, it's crazy stuff. But this is what happens. This is the reality of modern corporate IT life. Embedded devices and embedded operating systems are always the hardest to upgrade. And when uh, when I was at Intel, we were trying to end of life NT4, and it's one thing to do it, you know, in all of the computers and all of that. But we had multi-million dollar tools that had embedded NT4 that there was no upgrade available, and you just didn't order a new one from Amazon. Let me interject here. So we have a question from uh, one of our attendees: Is it even still possible for a non-cloud environment, whether it's a two-person IT department or an enormous enterprise, is it even possible for a non-cloud organization to start to compete with the tooling and the concentration of talent that big cloud service providers can offer? No, 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 no. The simple thing is there's so much threat out there that the, the big cloud providers have got the opportunity to 
A, accumulate data, and B, more importantly, analyze the data fast to detect new threat. And they also have the technologies like artificial intelligence and them, which, I mean, the intelligence isn't very artificial or not even very intelligent from time to time, but it is a help. You know, so they, they have the combination of resources, people, techniques, and technology, which is really difficult for a two-person shop to have. There's always an exception to the rule, though. I mean, there are some incredibly technical and talented people out there. It, it needs to be split up into what area, yeah? Because, yeah. Uh, of, of course, uh, uh, the overall, you don't have a two-people company that creates an architecture of anything. Yeah? I, I would expect that they mainly would be the perfect candidate to move all of their resources to the cloud and then also hand off, let's say, the security management of it. But, you know, when, when, you, when you talk about security, you need to look at the whole picture, right? I yeah. mean, for example, a small shop, as Tony said, will never be able to invest in uh, in experts, for example, in, in all the different security exactly, spaces, right? Exactly, exactly. Like, yeah. for example, uh, physical security is a good one. Yeah, yeah, the analogy that I, I Guido's heard me use this before that it sort of came to mind when listening to somebody and might have been Alex Weiner talking about the threats and what Microsoft is doing against the threats is it's almost as if you have these enormous castles and fortifications of the Microsofts and the Googles and the AWSs with all of their security spend uh, and all of their resources and the smaller organizations that become tenants or a hybrid are almost like landholders that that sort of hide under the the auspices of the castles, you know, underneath where the cannon fire would be, or you know, they go for the protection of that against the Mongol hordes that are hammering at the gates. Jan, a, a question. So, you know, you had a great slide in your session showing the evolution of computing in the last 15 years from you know client server to virtual machines to cloud and then to containers and microservice models. I personally am not very familiar with containers and microservices as it's more of a developer thing. Yeah, um, right. how, how has that improved security? Well, the uh, I, the big uh, challenge for security there is that you have more uh, more moving parts, right? I mean, a, a lot of small moving parts that can be easily moved around on on different platforms. So one of the big advantages of uh, containers and uh, and microservices is uh, velocity, agility, flexibility. So when you have that environment, your first of all, your attack surface becomes uh, much bigger. Um, so you have more uh, risk for exposure, more uh, threats that can sneak in. And, and also on the um, authentication, authorization uh, part uh, side, uh, things are multiplied, right? Because you have much more pieces that need to communicate, need to exchange credentials, need to be identified, need to be authorized. So also uh, authentication, authorization becomes uh, much more complicated. On the other thing, I think one of the good things about this, uh, this move uh, to... Um, uh, containers and microservices for uh, security is this whole uh, uh, shift left organization that, uh, movement that's going on, right? The whole focus on uh, on DevOps and DevSecOps, uh, the fact that uh, developers are becoming more security aware, the fact that they uh, include uh, secure, uh, security analysis much more uh, from the start in their uh, application development lifecycle. So it, it, it brings a lot of challenges because the attack service is bigger. But on the other hand, then, yeah, a lot of the teams that are working and developing applications uh, are, are becoming more security aware and are applying more and more security best practices to application development. That seems to be, and you, you hit on a really interesting point, which is security is also in terms of the security mindset of the developers. 
and in, in the, the software development life cycle. Because if the developers are, are not sufficiently versed and how to incorporate security into their applications, then the problem just continues. I, in my session, I pointed that um, the problem of um, of secret sharing, uh, there are still uh, quite a few developers that are not uh, very security uh, trained, security aware, that are storing uh, secrets uh, in in their codes uh, in environment variables. So there's there's still uh, there's still a big issue there, security education wise. But again, I, I think this, this points out a very important point, right? It's it's not only about uh, technology, and I think the technology is getting pretty mature. Uh, there's still this this people problem, this awareness problem that uh, that that needs a lot of work, I think. As someone was jokingly called the wetware. That's the weakest link. From an early Microsoft security person, and I you you would all recognize his name. I can't remember it unfortunately, but he had the great insight, I think, that he said that you know technology people are more comfortable working with technology and things than they are working with people. I mean, that's why they're doing what they're doing. That's why they're in technology is because they're a little more comfortable working with technology than they, than they are with, with people. Tony, you mentioned in your session that almost a third of Office 365 users pay for add-on services such as enterprise mobility, especially thinking of security in the wake of Nobelium and all of that. What's your what are your thinking about Microsoft and the baseline security offerings that they have? Do they need to provide more as a baseline? Uh, they're making a lot of money off of these off of these security upgrades. What what are your what are your thoughts on the level of Microsoft of security that the Microsoft services provide today? Well, the first thing I'd say is that Office 365, there's lots of different plans. So which do you mean? Uh, because you see, if you if you buy Office 365 e5, you you get everything. You basically get everything, but you're paying 35 uh, no it's 35 bucks a month, yeah US for versus 20 bucks a month for e3. So it's it's really tailored. Uh, you know, it's like going into a supermarket. What do you want to buy? How much are you willing to spend? Yeah, because you've got all these offerings. Now pick pick what you want. Fill your basket. Get out. Microsoft is a commercial organization. So should they be putting more in? I think they are putting a lot in. I mean, you just got to talk to some of the guys like uh, like Alex about the amount of researchers they have, the amount of people they've got in security operations, uh, the investment they've made and all of the resources they use to track down uh, hackers and attackers and put those guys out of business. You know, can you can you associate those efforts with the, an Office 365 license? Probably not. It's an overall cost of doing business. So I think they are putting uh, putting uh, a lot of effort in. You can always argue should they uh, should they put more into lower cost Office 365 uh, uh, products for uh, or rather plans. Mm. For example, I would say that conditional access policies should be in every Office 365 plan. Mm. You know, and I've had stand up rows with the Azure AD guys about some of their pricing and packaging decisions. Uh, but I guess you're always going to have that because everybody everybody wants everything for for as little as they can pay. So you know that's human nature. I'm giving you a real consultant's answer and say, well, could be, it maybe depends. should should do. It depends, you know. But overall, I'd say they're doing they're pump, they're pumping a lot of effort into it. 
Uh, and there's always room for discussions about what you actually get. But then again, you know, the big enterprises, when they get down to talking about the plans that they buy from Microsoft, the deals they get from Microsoft may have all these things bundled in there because who knows what happens in the privacy of a salesman's mind? Not sure that that's a that's a headspace I'm will, ready to go into. Oh, indeed not. But you know, and none of us would. Let's face it. But you know, deals are done. In my days as a consultant, I saw many enterprises that had purchased, you know, a good set of services, but had not implemented them either. Yeah. That's very yeah, true. That happens all too often because it's not just about the licenses that you gain and the services that you get. It's also about the project resources and the investment that you need to do in your own company to get them then to be implemented and operated. Often it's uh, you don't even have a team to operate certain things. Yeah, I have, yeah. have that all the time. Yeah, uh, that's totally true. I mean, you know, my my argument there for bundling conditional access policies is absolutely fantastic. But you've got to have somebody who actually understands what conditional access policies do and how to configure them for your organization. And that software is absolutely useless. Right. And I think that that is actually the space you pointed out in the keynote, ISVs having a hard time in, in the cloud space, yeah, because basically all that security might come from the cloud provider already. But I think there's also a level of complexity that many people have a hard time to actually manage correctly. Yeah? You, you grant roles that you don't even realize what permissions they grant in the back. And this is something where, where ISVs, not only like us, but other companies also will be able to help customers to understand their security landscape also yeah. in the cloud, not just on-prem. Right now, we are also focusing a lot of resources on-prem, but of course the road to the cloud is paved. It's, it's, it's a highway, yeah, everybody is driving on it. And so the ISVs have to do the same thing uh, to not be forgotten. And they've got to be secure because I saw a note the other day which, which yeah. observed that many ISV products, uh, you raised this about consent, many ISV products go and look for the graph directory read all permission. And they demand <laughs> that an administrate our write all even better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. I mean, my. You might as well have the right. I mean, yeah. you have the main admin, uh, request. Yeah. Like on-prem uh, years right. ago, at least, uh, the, yeah. the past years. <laughs> Give me the main admin because it works. Yeah, I know yeah. that. So they go and they get this. Uh, they, they ask an administrator to give consent. Oh, so, oh, it's a simple click. Just And the admin does it. And then what's the risk uh, for the company? Yeah? And so there, there's definitely space for ISVs here. I, I have no doubt to, to basically fill that gap because there will be gaps doesn't matter how many, let's say, security experts a cloud provider has. Sometimes right. it's on the usability side to add controls, yeah, to to, to make it to make it more right. obvious. Yeah, and I'm sure that all of your products would never ask for such a consent, and and have absolutely wonderful GUI to stop people doing stupid things, right? Absolutely. <laughs> We're looking at the supply chain attacks and all that, and the the effect of SaaS software versus locally software, locally installed software, and their vulnerabilities to supply chain attacks. Because everybody, you know, one one piece of fault is everybody depends on everybody else now, and and they depend on somebody. The definition of cloud is your stuff on someone else's computer, right? Somewhere, somewhere. That's right. Somewhere, who knows where? 
who knows where, and I was thinking of Jan as he was talking about API gateways and is a, a security thing, but it is yet another, we keep adding layers of smoke and mirrors to actually, before we actually get to the data. Some of it is security. Some of it is for flexibility. I, I can't even imagine how many layers of virtualization are now between what you see on the screen and the actual layer of data that you get to. And it doesn't seem to be slowing down at all. It's all about abstraction, right? Exactly. More and more abstraction. Abstraction, or as I like to say, it's the layer below lying to the layer above. Oh, yes, this is really what you think. No, it's not. But it really is what you think it is. You know, everyone's lying to everybody else all the way down the stack. So thanks very much for attending. Okay, okay thank you. Thank you all. Thanks for joining us on the Hybrid Identity Protection Podcast with Sean Doobie. Be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Visit hipconf.com, that's H-I-P-C-O-N-F.com to learn about upcoming events, view expert presentations, and take part in the conversation.